You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Constance McMillan, the lesbian high school student in a small town in Mississippi who sued her school after they canceled prom to prevent her from taking her girlfriend and going in a tux, won this week in court. The school settled, admitted guilt, and changed their policies, all thanks to Constance McMillan. She got a $35,000 settlement, which she's putting towards her schooling, putting towards college. And Constance is going to join us in a minute to talk about her case, why she fought so hard, and what it feels like to have won. Of course, you podcasters, regular listeners, will remember Constance. The podcast was one of the first media outlets in the country that broke and ran with this story and pummeled people over the head. And all of you, my delightful flying monkeys, took to the internet, took to uh, your email accounts, and let the administrators at Itawamba Agricultural High School in Fulton know that we were all watching, that the whole world was watching, and we weren't going to put up with their bullshit. We weren't going to let them bully, intimidate, harass, and paint a bullseye on the back of a vulnerable lesbian high school student in a small town that we were going to come to her defense. And we did. And she won. And she's here with us right after this. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Joining us by phone now from Fulton, Mississippi, is Constance McMillan. Hey, Constance, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So how does this feel now to have this all resolved, to have it behind you, and to have won? Uh, well, I'm really relieved. You know, like when I found out that we were settling and everything, I was I was really happy because I was just ready for it to be over with, you know. I'm sure that they're ready to get on with their life, and I'm ready to get on with mine. And, um, you know, the policies that they put in place, that, I mean, it made me really happy because it's like a big step for Fulton. And um, and tell us what those policies really, were. I mean, the settlement involved uh, a cash settlement to you, uh, paying your lawyer's fees, so the ACLU folks are taken care of, and also enacting policies that are going to protect gay and lesbian students at Itawamba Agricultural High School in the future. What are those new policies? Um, just saying that, you know, that they don't, they've already had like a policy against discrimination, but they're adding sexual orientation and sexual identity to that. And then they're also going to enforce uh, their bullying policy uh, for the same reasons for sexual orientation, sexual identity. When we first heard of your story, my reaction was when I heard that they'd canceled prom to prevent you from going, that the administrators uh, of your school and the school board, they were really painting a bullseye on your back and that the students, the other, your peers, were going to blame you for the cancellation of prom. And that is what happened in the end. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I, I, it's... What you did was such an act of bravery. You know, we're big city mice here at the at the podcast and uh, Savage Love. Um, and what's been remarkable about your story and following it, besides your your articulateness, your grace, uh, and the way you shouldered this, was really watching your family. It's not something that we expect sitting here, you know, in Seattle or San Francisco or Chicago or New York, that a, that a lesbian teenager in a place like Fulton, Mississippi, is going to have the love and support of, of her family. That's not the script, you know. You look at that 
teenager in Georgia who was allowed to go to prom, but then his family kicked him out of the house. Yeah. Uh, why do you? Th- what is it about your family uh, that made them supportive? When did you come out to them? And how did they react initially? And, and how did they? Was there a journey to support, or were they always supportive? Uh, it was hard for them to like accept at first. My grandmother, not my dad, but my grandmother was like, "No, you're not." Blah blah blah. You know, and I'd be like, "I'm I'm gay," and she's like, "No, you're not." You know, but she wouldn't get mad. She'd just be like, "Oh, whatever, it's just a phase." I'm like, "No, it's really not." And then finally, like, she realized that it really wasn't a phase. You know, and she accepted. She's accepted it. Um, she just, you know, she's like, just, you know, I don't, just don't kiss your girlfriend around me or whatever. You know, that's, but that's easy to understand, you know, that I don't want to make her feel uncomfortable. But they've always, her and my dad and the rest of my family, they've, they've always been supportive, you know. Like, even if they don't agree with it, they re- they respect the fact that it's my life and um, they're going to love me and they're going to support me. So how did it feel you know, shifting back and forth between, you know, going on the Ellen show and uh, Wanda Sykes uh, going to L.A. Uh, as her guest uh, for that award show and then having to go back to Fulton, having to go back to the school environment where you were being harassed. Was that hard to juggle those emotions and, and, and the disconnect between the light, you know, these two realities, really, that you experienced during all of this? Well, in a lot of ways, like, there were so many things, you know, like, bad things happening that were really bad and good things happening that were really good. And so a lot of times the good things didn't really seem that good to me because I felt like, I felt like, okay, well, this is happening, and I'm excited that this is happening, and it's great that this is happening, but why? I mean, it's happening because of what happened to me, you know, like, it's, I wasn't as happy or as thrilled about it, I guess, as I should have been because of the way that it happened. But I think that without those things, though, I think they they played a major part because without those things, there's no way I could have continued to push on, you know? I could, if I hadn't had all the support that I had from all over the country, the support from the celebrities, the support from my family and the friends that I did have, and, um, you know, all these people telling me about how I inspired them and how I, they're happy that I'm standing up for my rights and the knowledge that I had knowing that I, was, I could change things for other people. Uh, without all that, there's no way I could have done it. I think that everything happened exactly like it should have in order for me to continue and push on like I did. Your first support was really average people, Facebook people pouring onto that website, um, let Constance take her girlfriend to prom and writing emails to the administrators there, and that helped bring it to the attention of, uh, you know, the press. Once you know, When you got to 50,000 supporters on Facebook, that's when CNN sat up and take notice. And then ultimately you went to, what, a half a million or more supporters on Facebook? Yeah. Um, just two more quick questions, and then we'll, then we'll let you go. What would you say to people, and I, I heard this from a lot of people because I wrote a lot about you, and people would write me and say, it's just a prom. It's not a big deal. Why does everyone care so much about this? Why does this girl, Constance, care so much about this? What would you say to to those folks? Um, Yes, I could probably live perfectly fine without going to prom, Um, but I shouldn't have to. Just like there are people out there that, 
you know, I, I, I dreamed about going to prom ever since I knew what prom was. I mean, little girls do that, you know, proms and weddings. And, and in another way, it's like, a, it's like a rite of passage for seniors to prom is. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that I should have to miss because I'm gay. And, I mean, there's plenty of things that people could live without doing, you know, um, involving civil rights. But does that mean that they should have to? just because they're different or because someone doesn't think that they deserve that right. And this is an advice program, my uh, dirty podcast. And we hear from a lot of teenagers all over the country who are in small towns, some who have the support of their families, some who aren't out to their families yet, uh, and some who don't have the support of their families, some who uh, have been tossed out. Any advice for them? Any advice for people who are, who would be in your situation in high school and uh, coming out? Well, I know that coming out is a really hard process, you know, uh, especially if you know that your parents aren't very supportive. Um, I think that, like, the people that they know that their parents aren't going to be accepted of it, like, I don't know. I'm I'm really, like, embrace who you are and be who you are, but I don't think that a 15-year-old child should um, come out to their parents to embrace themselves and get kicked out on the street at 15. I mean, that's not what I'm trying to say, you know. So I think that whenever the time is right, I think that you should come out to your parents because, I mean, your parents love you, so or they're supposed to love you, you know, and they're supposed to love who you are and be there for you. And it might take them, like, time to get used to that and to accept it, but I'm, I'm sure that eventually it will happen. I don't know. I just... If, if you're in the same position I'm in, or I was in, I just think that you should just stand up for yourself. I mean, I think it's really that simple. If you think something's wrong and then and you can do something about it, then do something about it. I mean... And you have a lifeline to the wider world now on the Internet. They can't pick on or discriminate against or retaliate against lesbians in high schools and small towns in Mississippi these days and get away with it anymore with impunity because the wider world is going to find out and, the, and take action Yep, Constance thank you so much uh, for what you did for standing up and for making some time for us today and good luck in college oh thank you hi Dan I'm a 25 year old female I'm calling about my father basically um, I'm dealing with two things I'm basically dealing with his fetish, and I'm also dealing with, like, I don't know, his uh, inconsiderate sort of behavior. It was in my sophomore year that I discovered my dad was an infantilist. I don't know how you pronounce it, but basically that's it. I came home unannounced, and um, he had uh, diapers hanging up in the, uh, the bathroom, and I didn't know what they were at first. I thought it was just incontinent, but then I ran up by my mother, and you know, my parents were divorced, and she, you know, confirmed that it was, in fact, you know, the fetish that he's had for a very long time. I've lived with him on and off um, since I graduated. It's been hard because he's pretty lax about the way he, like, leaves things about. Um, so, like, our rooms are right next to each other, um, and I don't live there anymore. But um, when I did, it was, you know, it was hard. Like, I was like, walk by his room, and I would see, like, some of his stuff, so he just didn't really care, it seemed like. Um, and most recently, I actually was there, and he has this habit of just, like, roaming around naked in the house, so I always have to, like, I have to call before I show up all the time, or, like, knock on the door, and it's this weird 
sort of game that I don't like at all. So basically, I woke up this morning from staying over from 4th of July, and the doors open, and I happened to walk by, and it was early in the morning because I had to get to work, and he was um, masturbating, and so I quietly, like, went across, like, the kitchen and outside and back to my room. That was not pleasant at all, and I just want this, like, situation to stop. I don't know how to talk to him. I don't really, I don't want to talk to him about it. I don't have anything else to say to him. My mother suggested that, you know, I write him a letter. <laughs> so I was just wondering if you or any of the listeners knew of ways I could deal with this. It's infantilism, not infantileism. Your dad is an infantilist. You, at 25, living at home, complaining about your dad's kinks. You are infantile I think. I don't want to beat you up. It sounds kind of traumatic. Your parents are divorced. Maybe you're financially dependent on your family, like a lot of people in their mid-20s now, thanks to the recession and how hard it is for people to find work. Setting all that aside, however, move the fuck out. Get a different living situation. Go live with your undiapered mother. Go find a roommate situation. Go find a room in a group home. Anything to get you out of there. There's really... If it bothers you this much, there's really nothing to discuss with your dad. He's an infantilist and a bit of a freak and kind of open about it and doesn't really give a shit, obviously, what you or his ex-wife think of his kinks. And it's his fucking house. And if he wants to loll about in diapers, that should be his right. I, I you know, I... It makes you uncomfortable. You know what? If I were you and living with my dad and he was wearing diapers and hanging them up in the bathroom we shared, that shit would make me uncomfortable too, which is why I don't live with my dad. Now, I'm not saying my dad's an infantilist, but I'm just erring on the side of not living with him just in case. I, For all I know, my dad does wear diapers, but I don't live with him, so I'll never know. And I would urge you to just move the fuck out. Your relationship with your father sounds pretty strained as is. This conversation with him about how he conducts himself in his own home is only going to make things worse. So just pack your shit. Maybe that's the wrong choice of words when you're talking about a diaper fetishist problem. Just uh, gather your things and go. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs, plus a free extra gift, plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. I am, uh, in a couple of weeks, my wife and I are going to be able to have a couple of nights away from our from our children for the first time in four years since our oldest was born. And I'm mostly looking forward to this a lot. It's going to be really nice. Um, <clears throat> we're looking forward to uh, spending time together and having sex. But the one thing I am a little concerned about is when we have, in the past, been able to set aside a few hours the, sort of the pressure of the moment gets gets a little bit difficult, and sometimes sometimes I can't keep it up, and sometimes it's uh, I feel like uh, I don't know I'm not getting everything out of it that I that I want to, or uh, so. And I know that part of it is just nothing's ever as exciting as it is in your fantasies. But I just wondered if you had any advice for how to 
when you know that you have only a set period of time where you can really enjoy sex with with your partner and uh, away from the kids and away from everyone, um, what's the best way to approach that so that you can enjoy it to the maximum? The way you can make the most of this time, since the pressure has caused you to lose your erection in the future, is just to relax about losing your erection. If you lose your erection, you've lost your erection temporarily, momentarily. You haven't lost it forever. It's not at the bottom of the sea. It's still in your pants. It'll come back. Just give yourself permission if you go soft to do other things you enjoy. People who lose their erections because of nerves or whatever or, you know, some momentarily get spooked and the blood goes away, whatever. It's not that you're not horny anymore. It's not that your erection won't come back if you just give it a chance and breathe. You're still fucking horny. So eat her pussy, roll around, play with her tits, do other stuff. Finger fuck her, fist fuck her. Let her fist fuck you. Do other stuff. Take the focus off your dick until your dick comes back. And your dick will come back. And uh, medical marijuana. Always, in these cases, medical marijuana. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a 31-year-old lesbian calling. And I have a question for you, but also I'm hoping you can air this. Um, as it also might be a question for other lesbians out there. Um, I was wondering how frequently um, lesbians resort to grinding. Um, this is something that is the only way I can get off, just basically grinding with another woman, you know, vaginal to vaginal, um, that sort of movement. I guess it would be considered dry humping, um, except it's not dry. Um, and I'm wondering, most of the women I've been with, are amazed that I can get off that way and I've had women say things to me like I've never heard of that before or wow I've never seen that before um, you know lesbian sex being generally <laughs> assumed to be relatively oral or um, you know dildo, vibrator, strap on, whatever um, which is all nice to me but as, as a penetration but the only way like I said is to get off is through that movement um, that back and forth you know up against my partner. And I'm just, this is a question for other women out there. Why is it that women have told me that they've never seen this before or heard of this before when it seems just so obvious to me that that's what two women can do together? Um, so if there are any ladies out there that have heard of this or engage in it, I'm just wondering how common it is. And if, you know, it's not too odd every time a woman says to me, wow, that's amazing. I've never seen that before. All right, great show. Thanks. Bye. By grinding, I... Assume you mean jamming your vaginas together and grinding your clitorises against one another until you have one of those earth-shattering lesbo orgasms. The first of many in even a single lesbian encounter. I hadn't heard that it had gone out of fashion. Perhaps this is evidence of the triumph of the dildo merchants, though. Perhaps this sort of external lesbian sex, the grinding of pussies together, scissor sistering, they used to call it, has gone out of fashion with the younger set because... The instant they come out, they are issued a strap-on dildo kit. But this is a question for the lesbians, I guess. We're just going to float it out there. Hey, lesbos, is grinding out? Is it all dildos now? The tech heavy at-risk youth are smacking their lips and rubbing their hands together with glee because they're going to get to field all sorts of calls from all sorts of lesbians about what it is lesbians are doing in bed. And there's nothing the tech heavy risk at-risk youth like better than... Uh, happy calls from lesbians about their sex practices than they do angry calls from lesbians about my many uh, shortcomings. 
Hi, Dan. I'm calling to follow up on a phone conversation you had with a friend of mine about a month ago. Um, he called because he was fucking a lesbian who was in a very long-term relationship and wanted to know what to do. Well, um, I'm her. Um, and we've since ended our physical relationship, although I think we ended it entirely out of guilt and because it seemed like the right thing to do. And I, I don't think it was because of lack of interest or desire. Um, but since then, things have really changed for me. Um, I have a really deep emotional connection with my girlfriend and I love her very much. We get along really well. Um, and we have a really good, nice life together. Um, but the problem is, is that I think that I might not be a lesbian anymore. (laughs) So even if she was in opening up our relationship where I could, you know, explore my interest in men, I don't think I would be satisfied with just fucking a guy here or there. Like, I think I want to be with men. And for me, it's easy to imagine a person who thought they were straight and then realizing they're actually gay, but have denied it because of social pressure um, or whatever. But do you think that it can happen the other way around? Before I get to uh, your question, I saw The Kids Are All Right this weekend. What a great movie about a lesbian couple, a lesbian couple played by two straight female actresses. And you really haven't seen that much straight sex in a movie about lesbians that isn't hardcore porn in about 100 million years. Julianne Moore's character, well, I don't want to give it away. There's a lot of straight fucking in that movie uh, involving at least one of the lesbians and uh, at least one penis. Do I think it can happen, this being lesbian identified and then uh, deciding that what you really want is men? Yeah, I think it can happen. I've seen it happen. Um, I'm sick of it happening. Uh, And I'm sick of lesbians yelling at me like it was all my idea that it happens. Because I'm going to, like, get a million calls about my pernicious anti-lesbian identity agenda. And even playing your call, even fielding your question. Because what I want is more women sitting on dicks. Right? That's my secret agenda. If I could change one thing about the world, it would be more competition for cock for me. Now, I think I might not be a lesbian anymore. Those are the words that no lesbian-identified woman wants to hear from her girlfriend. However, you know what we know now about female sexuality, I would urge people to read. Uh, Daniel Bergner's The Other Side of Desire. Read anything that's come out in the last five, ten years about female sexuality. And what we know now is that it is very fluid. It sloshes around in ways that male sexuality just fucking doesn't. I think I might not be a lesbian anymore. Yeah, we hear that, unfortunately, frequently from many lesbian-identified women as they shed their lesbian identities like a pupa. You rarely hear, I might not be a gay man anymore. I I always like to say that, you know, I ran with five lesbians when I moved to Seattle, my five lesbian pals. Of those five lesbians, three are with men now and two are men now. And they're gay men. And it is does seem to be sort of the occupational hazard of lesbianism. So do I think it can happen? Yeah. And I think it happened to you. The question now isn't can it happen? It did happen. It happened to you. It's what do, what do you do about it? Well, you can't stay with this woman, this lesbian identified woman who deserves to be with someone who wants to fuck her. It's not too much for a woman to ask. 
and you deserve to be with somebody that you want to fuck. So things have changed. You've grown apart. And it's time to end your lesbian relationship. And if it's men that you want to be with, go find one or go get the one that you had back. This, you know, just, uh, I don't want to say this, but I can't stop my mouth. I, I, I need some sort of like instant wiring of jaw shut button that I can just press here on the table. I'm so glad I'm gay. I'm so glad that of all the different, you know, of the two brands of homosexuality that you could possible, you know, possibly be, I, I got the gay male brand of homosexuality because you can just relax. Uh, you know, my boyfriend might leave me for all sorts of different reasons. My boyfriend's not going to leave me for pussy. And, and that's kind of a comfort, uh, you know. I think if I was a lesbian, I'd be a little batshit crazy insecure after a while. Because, you know, that female sexual fluidity, it, 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 it's a complicating factor. It's a superpower, dun, 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 I think. You know, we shouldn't regard female sexuality because it functions differently than male sexuality as inferior. Unless we hold male sexuality up as the standard by which all sexualities are judged. No, I don't. But my God, it is a complicating factor. And uh, there should be a line of sympathy cards for lesbians whose girlfriends are leaving them for cock. I have a question. I, I work in a high school. Um, one of my students has recently came on to me. He graduated this year, so he waited until... He graduated to tell me, but I kind of had a feeling. Um, I'm wondering if this is something that I should pursue. Um, I'm kind of in a vulnerable state right now since I did just leave my husband, and I find myself quite lonely. Um, I really, really appreciate your input on how I should handle this. If it's just my emotions and hormones getting the best of me for feeling this way? And is it something I should just completely stay away from? Any insight would help. There's a case right now in Washington in Seattle where a former teacher at a high school here has been arrested in Las Vegas and dragged back to Seattle to face charges of fucking a former student. She had submitted her resignation. The school year was over and she fuck the shit out of the 17-year-old. And the age of consent here is 16, so he's old enough, but she's still under arrest because she had been technically in a position of power and her contract didn't end until after the the month that she fucked him ended, even though she wasn't his teacher anymore, la, la, la. I think you should err on the side of not fucking your students, even if they are your ex-students, unless they're your ex-students by many years, not by several weeks. You don't want to get a reputation. You don't want a sex-negative psychopathic prosecutor ginning up charges to uh, nail you. And there won't be a lot of sympathy for you, even if they are, even if you have to bend the law to get you, should your affair with this young man of legal age be exposed. You sound vulnerable. There's a little uh, tremor in your voice. And uh, recently single, I get it. It's sad. Uh, you know, 18-year-olds, I get it. Some of them are hot, uh, particularly if you can scrape the Axe body lotions off them with a putty knife. But I I'm not going to tell you to fuck this guy. The risks are too great. We live in a culture that views any sort of intergenerational, I hope that's not salting any wounds, <laughs> in intergenerational romance, any you know significant age gaps, uh, 
plus any sort of power dynamics uh, that are potentially exploitative uh, as you know, akin to rape, as consensual sex is not possible under those circumstances, and you are and you will be treated as a sex offender and a criminal should this come to light. So don't fuck him. Fuck somebody else. Fuck some, you know, if what you want is you want a little bit of that teenage magic, so long as you obey the campsite rule and you leave whoever he is or whoever they are in better shape than you found him or them, I think you should go for it. Just not with one of your ex-students. I guarantee you that there are other 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds out there who are of legal age, who are legal adults, who would be delighted to put their penises inside you. And uh, you can sublimate your desires for this one who hit on you by going and finding one uh, who hasn't yet. But if you put yourself in front of him, he likely will. Hi, Tim. I'm a queer poly girl in late 20s living in New York. I have a new boyfriend, and we've been together about two months, and we're already just completely head over heels in love with each other. We have an amazing relationship, uh, both very open, affectionate, GGG. Uh, we practice part-time domestic discipline, DS, um, in and out of the bedroom, partly as a way to help him uh, stay organized and goal-oriented in his life and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so I plan to see him yesterday. When I meet up with him, he tells me that uh, one of his best friends was killed in a traffic collision that afternoon. Uh, my boyfriend's in his early 30s. He has a close-knit group that all went to high school together. So he tells me this as we're going out to get food. I ask him about it, how he feels, offer my sympathies. Uh, we talk about it a bit, but then kind of just back to normal conversation. I just let him lead. Um, I know people grieve in different increments at different times, so I try not to push him. Uh, so we go back to his place later and started making out of it. Um, before I knew about his friend, I had planned a scene for us. But I told him we don't have to. Um, that all that matters is what he needs. But he says he wanted to, and we both got really into it. Uh, it ends with amazing sex, as usual. Then we're laying in bed, and he starts to feel sad, so I try to draw him out a bit. Um, he sometimes has difficulty expressing his and has a hard time crying, even if he wants to. I ask, how do you feel? Do you want me to hold you? I ask him, he told me stories about when they were kids together. Um, eventually he opens up and does end up crying in my arms. And even though I hated seeing him so sad, I loved how close we were at that moment. And it's actually kind of beautiful. Afterwards, he showed me some of the pictures in his computer, called some of his friends that just kind of sat next to him the whole time rubbing his back. And um, later he made very sweet love and fell asleep holding each other. Um, so I have two questions to you, Jen. One is... Uh, how can I help to draw him out and be there for him without just pestering him? Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with death, um, and I don't want to smother him or push him away or end up saying something really stupid. The second question is, do you think it's appropriate to continue the, the DS, the dom-sub interactions during this time? Um, I'm in charge of stuff like his diet and his masturbation, and I don't want to say he can't eat ice cream or jerk off when he's sad and stressed out. Um... I know the exchange of power can be a release, especially when we're having sex play, but I'm very new to doming. Uh, I just started reading The Mistress Daniel. Uh, I don't want to do anything to hurt him physically or emotionally while he's in this delicate state. Sounds like you're doing everything right. He wanted to go ahead with the scene. You went ahead with the scene. It was fun. He enjoyed it. You both got off. And then 
you were there for him. You were emotionally supportive, if dominant partner. And then you had vanilla sex and you held him. You let him cry. You know, there's nothing about a DS relationship necessarily that precludes intimacy or real caring uh, or providing comfort um, to the bottom when he might need it. And it sounds like he does. Everything that you said in this call, you should just say to him. Let him, you know, hopefully he's a listener to the podcast. He'll hear your voice or you can play the podcast for him and let him listen to you. That you're trying to be conscientious about him and wanting to meet his needs. You know, if DS is a real pleasure and a relief for him, it might not be helpful for it to stop right now uh, while he's grieving. It might be a relief and an escape from his grief. And that sounds like what it was when you guys played just the other day. You have the ability and the right and and you should both be conscious and I realize you're new to the whole DS thing to step outside your roles for a minute and just have a neutral conversation about how things are working and functioning and whether everyone's happy. You can give him permission. You know, you can say like, I don't want to deny you any pleasures right now because as even as fun as it is for you to be denied those pleasures. Uh, if you need to eat some ice cream, whatever, maybe we need to loosen the reins a little bit for a while. And then, you know, that will, of course, set up the anticipation of you jerking the reins back come the time uh, that he's ready for it again. So play this show for him. Play your call for him. Every You put it so well. Sometimes I'm amazed that by people who call in and say, you know, I have this problem that I need to address with my partner. And then they lay out the problem and their feelings talking to me with such articulateness and feeling and I wonder why they didn't just take that to their partner. And, and you know, I know why. Because the stakes are higher. Because it's you can relax and just open up to me because I'm not going to dump you if you say the wrong thing. And people are worried that if they say the wrong thing to their partner, so they self-censor, they become self-conscious. And then they call me and it's it's actually very beautiful. Everything you said about your relationship, everything you said about your feelings for him, very beautiful, very touching. I can't believe that he would hear that. And it would ruin your DS dynamics, his affections for you, or your relationship. So open up to him and blah, blah, blah. I'll shut up now. Hi, uh, my name is Rebecca. I'm a lesbian in the Midwest. Um, and I'm just calling with a general comment, which is that um, I think your show is great, but I think it would also be great if uh, when you're talking about gay people, if you could... Um, make more of a nod to lesbians. Um, you sure do sometimes, but there's a lot of times where it seems like they're as invisible to you as they are to <laughs> most of the general public. Um, because lesbians are invisible, all sorts of problems ensue, not the least of which is stereotyping. Um, so I think if you could um, just sort of mention lesbians a little more often, that would be great. Thank you. Maybe the problem with lesbian visibility is lesbian evaporation. Per our earlier call, maybe if you people stop disappearing, we would think to mention you more often. I think lesbians come up on the show constantly. How many shows did I do about Constance McMillan or is ranting about her high school and her girlfriend? And uh, I, I give advice to lesbians all the time. You know, you have to recall that lesbians are... Women are identified as lesbian at about half the rate that men are identified as gay, and half those lesbians are getting on cocks and getting me in trouble. I think 
I don't know. I just think the collective lesbian unconscious realized that I was going to take a call from someone who was transitioning out of lesbianism and back to cock. And the angry phone call started before I even put that show out there, before the topic was even raised. I feel bad about le- – I wish lesbians were more visible. You know, it's a shame that Ellen doesn't have a five-day-a-week daytime TV talk show. But I will do what I can to mention lesbianism in every breath. Because, you know, I've always had a soft spot for endangered species. Hey, Dan. I am a heterosexual self-filator, as Colin to add my two cents. The suggestion that somehow going down on yourself is gayer than giving yourself a hand job seems silly to me. Uh, it is a purely masturbatory experience for me. Um, you know, uh, when I'm going down on myself, I don't think about some other dude's dick in my mouth. I think about how nice it feels or about a girl or, you know, whatever I want to fantasize about. I idea that it would make me gayer to use my mouth versus my hand seems silly to me. You know, wonder if this guy thinks that having anal sex with a girl is gay because it's an ass and not a pussy, or, you know, if he shaves his palms in the morning because he's worried that uh, other people will see the hair that grows and know that he masturbates. I mean, it, you know, it just seems ridiculous to me. Hey, Dan. Hey, Chuck Savia at I'm a 20-year-old gay male, and I can suck my own dick. Uh, I agree with the caller that sucking up, desolating yourself really does feel more like you're giving a blowjob than it does you're getting a blowjob, right? And even though giving head is probably my favorite thing to do in bed, I actually prefer to beat off the regular way. Uh, I was thinking about it, and I kind of feel this is because when I'm giving head to a guy, I'm really pleasing him, but when I'm giving it to myself, it doesn't really have, like, the whole psychological thing. Oh, I'm really pleasing someone. Um, that, so, yeah, even though I can suck my own dick, I feel beating off is better, and, yeah, I love the show. Hi, Dan. I'm calling with a comment about the auto fellatio call on behalf of my boyfriend with his uh, permission and blessing. My boyfriend was able to autofillate himself from age 13 to 18. And when we were talking about it the other night, after I brought up having heard the question on your podcast, uh, he told me that for him the stimulation was definitely having his dick sucked as opposed to being able to suck his own dick, although there was a lot of novelty and amusement that he was able to do it. And he told me he learned that he could do it after he used to take martial arts classes that involved a lot of stretching. And one day it dawned on him that his stretches probably meant that he could put his own dick in his mouth and lo and behold, it worked. Uh, and so I wanted to just add that since listening to your podcast, uh, I commented that I thought it would be really hot to see him be able to do this. And so in the last week he has started a new stretching routine in the hopes that he'll be able to, uh, to recreate this for me and uh, and show me and has told me that he's actually had different fantasies during the week um, about me watching him. So uh, I just wanted to share that, and I wanted to thank you for bringing uh, another uh, idea and layer into our sex life. I'm a straight 27-year-old guy, and I'm uh, married for uh, about five years now, and uh, I've been sucking my cock for 14 years. 
you asked a question uh, a couple weeks ago uh, whether whether people who were autofillators enjoyed having the dick in their mouth or if it was really just a simple masturbatory way of, uh, you know, having an orgasm. And I would say not simple. <laughs> um, it's, it, you know, really it's no different than getting a hand job. I mean, you're, we're, I'm doing it because, you know, it feels good for my dick. But you know what? When you put your hand on your cock, it feels good to have that to have your cock in your hand because you know that it's going to give you pleasure. It's the same thing with, you know, straining to put my cock in my mouth. It feels good to have it in my mouth because I know it's going to be great when I have an orgasm. Um, also, it's just the fact that I can do it, it really turns me on. Um, you know, but the physical toll is a lot greater than just a normal hand job. Um, whether it's my legs are over my head or I'm hunched over, there's a lot of strain. It's harder to breathe and my back hurts afterwards, so it's not like I can do it every day. But it feels better than a hand by a long shot. It doesn't feel as good as my wife's mouth or her pussy or her ass. I mean, that's, that's the truth. It's like on a scale of, you know, which one feels great. You know, my wife is at the top. My hand is at the bottom. My mouth is somewhere in between. And you know what? I'm, I'm no gayer now than I was when I was growing up, which just to say I'm 95% straight and about 5% of me loves a cock. I don't want to fuck a guy, but if my wife sprouted a cock, I'd be happy for about an hour, and then I'd want her pussy back. Thank you, autoflators, for pulling the cocks out of your mouths long enough to give us a call. I know if I could do that, my mouth would be perpetually full. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast if you'd like to record a call for a future show. But before we let you go, a little unfinished business from last week's program. Damien, our guest advisor from last week who hopes to usurp my career someday, 18-year-old theater fag had never seen All About Eve. I gave him an assignment, told him to go watch All About Eve, and I gave him a call just now to make sure that he did. Now, joining us by phone from a bus stop somewhere in the United States, Damien Barreto, my uh, eventual usurper, who watched All About Eve in the last week. Did you not? I did, I did. What do you think, theater fag, of All About Eve, the Ur theater fag movie? Well... One thing about me is that I really hate admitting when other people are right about something, and I may or may not have been mesmerized for the duration of this film, all two and a half hours of it. I loved it. It was great. But it's, it's amazing, you, isn't it? It is, but you flatter yourself, Dan Savage, comparing yourself to Bette Davis. Oh, I'm not comparing myself to Bette Davis. Who are you comparing yourself to, to, to no one. I wish I was Addison DeWitt, actually. I'm always ah. lurking in corners waiting for moments <laughs> when I can say, you're far too short for that gesture. <laughs> which is, which well, for I mean, me is the, the orgasm moment in that movie. Not fasten your seatbelt, it's going to be a bumpy night, not any of the rest of it. It's Addison DeWitt, you're far too short for that gesture, Eve. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to lay down a very sarcastic sorry for not having seen this film that was released over four decades before I was even born, first of all. But I'm glad you told me to watch it. <laughs> Rub it in four decades before you were born. Hey, um, it came out before you were born, too. Well, that's true. Uh, and before uh, Marilyn Monroe was dead. So I think you need to write an outraged letter to your theater department there in Orange County, because I noticed you have a theater degree from that art school, that they allowed you to go through an arts program, and specifically a theater program, without making you watch All About <laughs> Eve. That's a, that's a deficiency in your education that you may never recover from. All right. All right. All right. But... I mean, Matthew Morrison just showed up at my school, I think, on Tuesday and donated, like, $15,000. So 
maybe now we can update the uh, curriculum. Well, maybe I will donate a $15 DVD of All About Eve to <laughs> high school. I got it on Netflix, so I'll just rent it and let them borrow it. Okay. Hey, Damien, uh, everybody loved you last week, thought you did a great job, and we will have you back. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so flattered. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. And now we're done. 206-201-2720 is the number at the podcast. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com where you can read the Savage Love Letter of the Day. Or even better, you can read the Savage Love Letter of the Day on your iPhone by having it sent to you every day via the Savage Love iPhone app, which you can get at the iTunes store. And it's the Savage Love Letter of the Day and a whole lot more. Go buy one now. 206-201-2720 is the number again. Me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth will be back at you next week with another installment of the Lesbian Invisibility Promoting Podcast. Thank you very much for downloading. And please, do me a favor. If you're a lesbian, put down the cock. Just back away from the cock. Give me a break, all right? And if you've got a lesbian on the cock problem, take it to Dr. Laura for a couple of weeks. Just give me a break. I'm in enough trouble with the lesbians already. Thank you very much. Back at you next week.